We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Hey, well, welcome again. Welcome again. My name is Pastor Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. Just want to welcome you to Crossroads Online. Thanks for tuning in. Some special just shout outs out there. I know that we actually have Patty and her son from uh, Denair, California. Now, something cool about them is that uh, Patty had shared with us that her son was in an accident. And so he's at home recovering right now. So wanted to say hello to you. We're praying for you, buddy. Hopefully everything's going well for you. Also, Janet, all the way in Missouri is watching us in the and just kind of a special team hunt shout out. I know my kids and my wife are watching right now. So Aniston, Easton, Cherie, I love you guys. Good morning. I'm glad you guys are up. Um, but listen, we are excited that you would be here with us today. The mission of our church never stays, never changes. It is always the same. It is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow him fully. Any way that we can help you do that, that is why your chat hosts are available. They're going to be sending you links and different things throughout the message. Love for you to just to interact with them and know that they're there to help you take your next steps. This week, obviously, the COVID-19 thing continues to, to kind of snowball and different things are happening. And I don't know about you, but I watch a lot of the news and I watch a lot of Facebook and different things on there. And it can, it can become overwhelming. It can almost be, make you feel a little fearful at times. But what I love is when a little bit of hope pops through some of those feeds and you get to see some cool things that are happening as a result of a sheltering at home and social distancing and all those things that seem to be so outside what we normally do. And, and some really cool things have started to happen here at crossroads that you should know about. One of which is that our outreach team has been reaching out to our local hospitals and providing meals to the night service and the night shift people, those people on the front lines of the actual fight of this. And so we, we're, we are so grateful to be able to do that because of your generosity. We also have been helping the local food pantries and second harvest food pantries to be able to help those that need food and getting those out to the elderly that might not be able to get to it. We're making physical phone calls and calling people to check in with everyone. And so there are a lot of great things that are happening, even amongst a lot of gray that's around us. And it only is possible because of you and all of your generosity. So thank you for believing in the mission here at Crossroads. Continue to give to that. And I know that you are going to be helping lots and lots of people as a result of it. Uh, but this idea of fear is something we said that is, is really engulfing a, a lot of us. And so we said we wanted to speak to that because in the Bible, the Bible talks about this idea of fearing not. In fact, it says 80 times in the Bible that we should fear not. And what I love about it is that in those times that it says it, it's actually speaking to people that were in the middle of the most fearful time of their entire life. In fact, a, in a time in their life when they should be fearful, God is saying, no, 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 fear not, fear not. And so what we said is we want to obey what God says. Last week, we started off by saying the first thing we do is we need to illuminate fear. We can't keep it in the dark. We have to actually bring it out so people can see it, so God can see it, and we can see it for what it really is. And it's not as scary once it's in the light of Jesus. So if you missed that message, I'd encourage you to go back and take a look at that. But this week, we dive into another angle of this idea of fear. And to do that, I want us to actually think about something to begin with here. Uh, and, and do you remember now, parents, I know that you're out there because, as I said, my kids are watching, but maybe your kids are watching. And hi, kids. I just want to say hi to you. Does my hair look OK? I just want to make sure it looks good. OK, um, but but parents, do you remember there were some there were some monumental moments in, in your kid's life, things that you you remember all the time? For instance, do you remember the first time that your baby pooped? 
That's right, kids. I just said poop in church. It's great. But do you remember? Because the first time they pooped, it was cute, was it? Aw, they made a poo-poo. So cute. But now, once the, well, after number one, everybody else was like, okay, you change the diaper. You change the diaper. It wasn't as cute anymore. Uh, but remember the first time they smiled? Oh, that little smile that you didn't know if it was gas or if it really was a real smile. You know, th- this smile was amazing. Maybe your kids are older and maybe you've hit some different milestones. So maybe for you right now, what's really cool is your kid could drive. And you're like, man, this is fantastic because now your kid can drive your other kids to their sporting events and you could go to the Bass Pro Shop while they're there and not have to worry about one of your kids getting into the bait and eating it or the other one jumping into the pool. Like, you, you know, like there's some great monumental moments, huge things in our life. But I would argue one of the biggest moments in our kid's life is this. And that is when they begin to walk. The first time they walk. Do you remember that, parents? You, you, you would set them and you kind of set them up on their feet. You'd make sure they're balanced, you know, and they kind of wiggle a little bit. Then they would stay. And then what you would do is you would pry your finger out from that freakishly strong grip that they had, which is, that's so cool. And then you would get around in front of them and you would make every goofy face possible to get them to come to you, right? Oh, come here. Oh, come here. You could do it. Oh, well, come here. You're right. You'd do every voice you could to get them to come. But if you look closely at your kids, wasn't it true that they had sheer terror in their eyes. Sheer terror. It was like you were asking them to walk over an active volcano like that Nick Walenda guy. You remember Nick Walenda? Just a couple of weeks ago he did this. Just absolutely crazy that he could do that. I would say that he's got a, a shrunken amygdala if you know what I mean. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to watch last week's message because amygdala is where your fear sensor is in your brain. But come on. I mean, this is clearly crazy. But but our kids, they were scared to move. Why were they scared to move? Because everything was new for them. Everything was new. They had new eyeballs in their heads and they got new hands and these new leg things that are happening. And and, and they learned to cry and all the everything was new. But then especially when it came to walking. But then, isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? After you get them set, all of a sudden, it happened. They would take that first step that, and they would kind of check, check themselves a little bit. And then they would take another step and then we check themselves. And then they would have that huge smile on their face and you knew that they got it. And the next thing you know, they were, boom, they were running. They were running. And for the rest of your life, you are constantly telling your kids, slow down. Slow down. Don't run into the wall. Don't do this. Stop sitting on your chair that way. You're constantly telling them to stop moving. But in that moment, all you wanted them to do was take that first step and move. But it is amazing when our kids learn something. But we know if we just take this idea of walking that in order to walk, you have to stand. And in order to run, you have to walk. And in order to take your first step, you have to get over the fear of what that first step means. Because without a first step, you are paralyzed. And in the current state of our world, it is easy to become paralyzed. It can be easy to stop walking because you don't know where the next logical step is and you're scared to move, you become paralyzed. And guys, this isn't just a COVID-19 thing. This is a politics thing. This is everything that's around us, uh, around us will cause us to become paralyzed. But there's a story in the Bible that speaks to this very, very thing. 
In fact, this would be a great time for you to grab your Bible out or maybe your Crossroads Grace app and open it there. Your chat hosts are going to put a link inside of your inside the feed for you to click on an area to go to the Bible. And when you do that, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14 is where we're going to land at today. And so I give you a couple of minutes in order to find that Matthew chapter 14. And in this story today, what we're going to look at is honestly one of my favorite people in the entire Bible. And his name is Peter. And the reason I like Peter is I think Peter is a lot like me in a lot of ways, maybe even a lot like you. A little rough around the edges. He speaks before he thinks. He shoots before he aims. He's always just kind of messing things up a little bit. He's always bumping his head against things. But he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. He was a fisherman by trade, a disciple by request, but a bonehead by nature. And that's not even all of it. I mean, at one point, he denied even knowing Jesus Christ at all, even though Jesus told him that he was going to do it. At one point, he actually took his sword out and cut a guy's ear off in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had to pick the ear up, put it back on his head and heal him to, to make up for, for Peter's mistake. And then after Jesus ascends back into heaven, Peter starts planting churches all over the place. What happens is he starts to mess up again. This other guy by the name of Paul has to come and wrap him on the knuckles with a ruler and say, stop messing up and to get him back on, on pace. Like this is Peter, right? This, for all these reasons, I love Peter. Because I think I'm a lot like him. And maybe you're a lot like him too. Because there are a whole bunch of us that love Jesus and we still screw up. And if you are out there and you don't know who God is or you haven't, don't have a relationship with Jesus, I think you just need to kind of hear this loud and clear. Just because you love Jesus doesn't mean that you're not going to screw up. Because if that was true, I would be toast. Like I, I mess up all the time. So I would be a mess if that was the case. But, but maybe you can relate. For instance, you know that uh, God says that we're supposed to treat our bodies well, but right now in this quarantine, aren't you eating everything you possibly could find at home? I mean, there's the freshman 15, but there's going to be like a quarantine quarter pounder or something that's going to come from this, you know? You know that God says you should love people and treat them really well, but I'm looking at some of your Facebook posts and I'm not sure if you're really following that at all. You know that, that God says that we should actually um, pray and read our Bible, but yet even while we're quarantined, we're still finding excuses why we can't read and why we can't pray. So we, we know what we should be doing, but we just aren't. But what sticks out to me, and honestly to a lot as Christians, is what we find in Matthew chapter 14. This whole idea of kind of the, the disconnect between what we know we should be doing and what we actually do. And in Matthew 14, it's a great example of this. But let me set the scene for you here a little bit. Before we get to where we're at, Jesus has just got done doing the whole turning a kid's Lunchable into a buffet trick at a local picnic, which is really cool. And, and so everybody left that picnic both physically fed, but also spiritually fed. And you would at that moment after that got done, you would think that the Jesus and the disciples would be high fiving each other or elbowing each other. I don't know what they do now, right? High fiving each other about what happened and, and kind of hanging out and talking about it. But that's not what we see. Jesus actually goes off by himself to pray. He, he needs a little, uh, he needs a little me time. It sounds like. In fact, check this out. Matthew 14, start in verse 22 with me. And we read this, that immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So here's what I, I love. The more that I read about Jesus, the more that I sense that he's an introvert more than an extrovert. Because every time it seems like you should press into the crowd and hang out with the crowd and relish the moment, he retreats and he goes and prays. 
I mean, he has so many introverted tendencies. So introverts, man, let me hear you roar out there, right? That ain't going to happen, is it? Yeah, introvert, we, you're not going to do that, right? But, but it's true. Whether Jesus is an introvert or an extrovert might be debatable. But what is true is that Jesus does the exact opposite of what we normally do in almost every situation, almost every time. So is, is this just because Jesus wants to get into the skin of everybody? He just wants to be antagonistic. Is that why Jesus does it? For instance, um, uh, my kids, for instance, I, I love Aniston and Easton. I love you guys so much. I love them so much. And now that I'm homeschooling them, I get to love them 24 hours a day. Can I get an amen from anybody out there? Right. I love them so much. But this is true. Almost every single time this is true. Whenever I give them an option of what to do, whether it's where to go, what to eat, what to wear, what movie we're going to watch, it never fails that one of them will wait for the other one to answer first and the other. And then that person will choose the exact opposite of what a brother or sister had just chosen. They do it every time. Why? To annoy the snot out of their sibling, number one, and number two, to make me pull out whatever eyebrows I still have left on my head. That's why they do it. So is that kind of what Jesus is doing? Well, well, I mean, let's just think about this for a second. Think about the reactions of what Jesus does compared to what we do. Jesus knows that the religious leaders want to kill him. He knows this, but instead of running away like we would, he actually presses in and preaches more. Uh, Jesus actually, uh, when he's healing people and doing miracles, everybody wants a piece of him. But instead of going to them and signing autographs, again, like we would, Jesus goes off and prays. Jesus says that we should love our neighbor as ourself, although we just want to hate our neighbor and get mad at them when they put something on our lawn. Like that's our reaction. So does Jesus do that just to be antagonistic? Is that why he does it? And I'm here today to tell you that that has nothing to do with that. He's not trying to annoy us in our life, but it has everything to do with this, that Jesus's natural reaction always goes against our natural instinct. Jesus' natural reaction is almost always against our natural instinct. It is so true. And, and, and I guess what our natural instinct is, is always to protect ourselves at all costs. We want to protect ourselves. Whatever we can do to protect ourselves, even if that means pushing against someone else, we're going to do that. But Jesus says something pretty profound, actually, a couple of chapters later in Matthew 16, that I want us to consider here. Look at verses 24 and 25 of Matthew 16. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Man, talk about backwards to our instincts right there. I mean, if I think my life is on the line, I am certainly going to protect my life and not give up my life. But Jesus says something totally different. He says, if you want to live, you got to die. And if you want to live, you got to know me. That's just unbelievable for us to think about. So as we think about all this counterintuitive ways of thinking, what does this mean for our fear? What does it mean for our fear? Fear? What if actually the way that we're naturally reacting to fear is the exact opposite of how Jesus wants us to react? Because our natural instinct is, is this, isn't it? It's to freak out. It's to worry. It's to uh, lose hope. It's to become anxious. It's to it's to binge eat an entire quart of Cherry Garcia ice cream from Ben and Jerry's. Like that's just what we do. But what if Jesus had another way, a different way for us to respond? 
What if there was actually a way that we could get beyond what we were fearful of in spite of our fear if we would just follow what Jesus says? So, so, so back to our story. The disciples, they hop on the boat. They start sailing away. Jesus goes up onto a mountain and pray. And while he's up on the mountain praying and the men are in the middle of the sea, all of a sudden a storm rolls in while they're sailing. Matthew would describe this storm this way. Verse 23, he says, Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, this is an interesting word, isn't it? What is this whole buffeted thing? Like, what is he talking about there? Is it like a, like a buffet? They're eating at a buffet? Is this like a Jimmy Buffett kind of experience right here? What does buffeted mean? And I started to dive into the word, and honestly, it's super cool when you kind of take a look. So the word buffeted in the Greek actually means this. It's bazanizo, bazanizo. And the definition of bazanizo is to torture or to torment. So that's pretty cool. I mean, it's pretty gnarly, isn't it? This idea of, uh, you know, this bad storm, it's kind of torturing them. But the idea of the actually root word abazanizo is what stood out and kind of gave it a little more clarity to me. Because the root word abazanizo is bazaznos. Bazaznos, which means that the cultural prophetess Gwen Stefani was right when describing the storm. She goes, this storm is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This storm is bananas. You get it, right? It, so the storm was bananas. It was crazy. It was a storm that was rocking the boat. It was tormenting. It was torturing them. It was bananas. It was a gnarly storm. But Jesus steps out from this time of prayer. He sees his friends in the middle of this banana storm. And he decides, you know what? I got to catch up with my crew. And so he does, but he does it only like Jesus can. And in the middle of all this crazy, this is what Jesus does. Look at verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. All right. All right, Jesus. I see you, Mr. Walking on Water Man. I see you. But, but can I point out something to you that I've read this story, I don't know how many times, but something just jumped out at me as I was preparing this message. And it was two little words. It was these words right here. It was the words before dawn. Before dawn. Now, why is that important? This means that not only were they in a banana storm in the middle of the lake, but it was pitch black. The only light shining on them would have been from the moon or maybe a little lightning bolt if that was happening. This was scariest, scary stuff. So not only did Jesus choose to walk out on that, but this is what they were in the middle of, a banana storm in the middle of the night. And guys, sometimes we can relate to that because sometimes when it's dark in the world and the sun hasn't risen, it can be scary and we can be fearful. And we might start to think, I don't know if that big orange ball is going to crest that eastern horizon the next morning and we get fearful. I think these men can relate to that. And I believe the reason that we, can, they, we know that they can relate to that is how they responded. Look at verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. Man, I needed to see that. I needed to see that. I needed to see that these were real people in the middle of a real mess. And they had real emotions. They cried out in fear. These aren't fairy tales. These aren't people that are made up. These are real people. And so when I read that they cried out in fear, I say, yes, 
Yes, that is how I'm feeling right now. I am crying out in fear, God. It's almost like they were, we're, we're kind of taking our, our, our life and saying, you know what? I just need my life jacket on. Like in the middle of the fear, in the middle of this banana sea of life, in the middle of the craziest time of my life, there is a sense of fear and panic and we cry out in fear. We're crying out. We just want to say, God, just help us. I don't know what to do. Just help us. And these disciples felt the very same thing. I believe that we are saying right now. And then on top of that, think about this. Not only are they fearful of the storm, but there's this guy like walking toward them. And I can't believe the, blame the disciples again too much because think about it. You left Jesus on dry land and all of a sudden now he's walking towards you and he doesn't even have a ski do or a jet ski or anything. He's just coming at you. So I think they might have a right to cry out in fear just a little bit. They were, they were freaked out. And Jesus knew this. He knew this was all going down. And so he says something that I think that is so important for us today to understand. In fact, even just sitting down just for a second, I want you to read this out loud. Read this out loud together. Kids, read it out loud together. This is what it said. But Jesus immediately said to them, let me hear it now. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Oh, such good words. Take courage, he says. It is I. Don't be afraid, he says. Don't be afraid. All of us want to hear some sort of encouragement in the middle of the storm, in the middle of our fear, in the middle of our doubt. We want to hear Jesus say, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. All of us need that. We want someone to tell us, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Why in the world do you think people still reach out to their moms all the time? It's because moms make everything okay. They rub your back. They let you know it's going to be fine. So Jesus is trying to calm their fears. He says, listen, don't, don't worry. Don't be afraid. It's me. But just like us, they needed a little bit more. That words were okay, but they needed more. And this is where our boy Peter steps up to the mic. Take a look at verse 28. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come. He says, Peter, my man, man, he looks out the situation. He says, I want to come to you. If it's really you come to me, I prove it. Let me come to you, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? All right. Come. Just, just, just come. But don't miss this. This, this one word that he says, I want you to miss. Don't miss this. Jesus didn't say come after he calmed the seat. He didn't tell Peter to come and have him put his floaties on or anything like that. No, no, no. He didn't make sure that the edges of the coffee table were all baby proof before he had to walk to him. No, no, no. He says, come in the middle of the storm. And just like Peter, Jesus is calling us to follow him. It, not, not when the COVID crisis is gone. Not when the economy is great. Not when everything is back to normal. But right now in the middle of the storm. It is one of the scariest moments in Peter's life and might be for you too. But Jesus says, come. One word. One word meant all the difference to Peter. Because look what happened in verse 30. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. One word, right? One word. This idea of come. And he came. He got out of the boat and got in the water. 
He took his feet from the the deck of the boat onto the wet water. One word that Jesus told him. And it's one word that he had heard before. That's right. Peter had heard this idea of come a few years earlier when Jesus was walking by and he saw Peter on his fishing boat, on his family's fishing boat. and, And he calls to him and he offers him to be able to come into ministry with Jesus. And this is what Jesus told Peter back in Matthew 4. He says, come, follow me. There it is again. He says, come, follow me. One word. But here is what's so cool about that moment when Jesus is calling him to become in a ministry. It was what Jesus was inviting Peter to do. Jesus was inviting Peter to do what Jesus was doing. He said, I want you to do as I do and tell people about the kingdom of God about this love and mercy and grace that are coming, about this Messiah that loves them so much. I want you to become a fisher of men, Jesus says. I want you to do all of that. But it's going to cost you, Peter. You're going to have to leave your family business. You're going to have to leave your home and the comforts that are there. You're going to have to put your life on the line for me. If you want your life to have purpose and meaning, then Peter, you're going to have to get out of that boat And come follow me. And he does. And what Jesus said was going to happen did come true. Peter became a fisher fisher of men. One of the disciples that was closest to Jesus. But Peter, in order for that to happen, he had to get out of the boat. And here on that stormy sea, Peter is faced yet again with the same proposition. Jesus says, come. Come out on the water and do as I'm doing. And in that one word, Jesus is saying to Peter, I know you're scared. I know it doesn't make sense, but trust me and come to me. What is Jesus telling you in this season? What is Jesus asking you to come to him with? Because he's always calling us to come to him because he loves us. And not just to walk on water, but sometimes to walk on over to him and give him him some things. Jesus once famously said this. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, Jesus says. Again, there's that word. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. Jesus is always asking us to come. And he's always asking us to come to him. So what is he asking you to come to him with today? Is it your fear of what your job will look like? Is it your fear that you're going to get sick? Is it your fear of the frustration your kids are feeling because they aren't able to do their sports? Is it a fear because your wedding is going to be postponed? Is it a fear because your marriage is on the rocks? What is it that Jesus is saying, come, come and bring it to me today. And the reason he wants us to come to him is that he can take that stuff and he can do with it what only he can do with it. He wants us not to be burdened by the things that we're so fearful about that we forget that Jesus is in control of our life. What Jesus says, when Jesus says come, he says he wants us to come. He really means it, just like Peter. And so when Jesus says come to Peter, and when he obeys, check out what happens. Peter does as Jesus was doing. Peter took a shaky step of faith out of that boat and now all of a sudden he is doing what Jesus was doing. He was walking on water. But don't miss this. He was not just walking on water. He was walking on his fears. 
He was walking on his fears. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it awesome to know? He was not just defying physics. He was defying his fear. The very thing that he was crying out in fear in the boat was the very thing he was walking on outside of the boat. And he looked at Jesus and he was walking on his fears. And I believe so much, more than anything right now, that God wants you to do the very same thing. He wants you to walk on your fears. He wants you to tap dance on your fears. He wants you to tick-tock on your fears. He wants you to walk on your fears. He wants you to do that. And when you have your eyes fixed on Jesus, you can do that. In fact, I want you to know this one idea more than anything else today. It's this one idea that says focusing on Jesus lets us walk on our fears. Focusing on Jesus lets us walk on our fears, not just in COVID-19 times, but in all the time. And with our eyes locked on him, our fears no longer hold us back. We can come to him with our fears and he lets us walk on top of them, ride right on top of them. But as Peter found out, there is a way for this all to come crashing down. Look at verse 30, it says this. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? This is so important for us to grab onto here. Look at the details of this interaction. Peter is literally walking on water. He is doing what Jesus is doing. He's walking on his fears Except then this happens. Matthew drops a butt into the middle of the situation. But look how it broke down. It says that he saw the wind and then he was afraid. And then the final thing is he began to sink. He saw the wind. He was afraid. He began to sink. See, it's so easy to jump to the part where Peter starts to drown and you see that part. But I'm telling you, we have we have to we can't forget how we got there. And it all begins with one thing. Are you ready? It's just one thing. Loss of focus. Loss of focus. This is why Jesus asked Peter about his faith and about his doubt. He says, Peter, man, you were doing it, bro. Like you were literally doing it. Why were you looking at anything but me? It was a loss of focus that caused Peter to sink because I want you to really think about this. Think about this. You can't focus on your fear and Jesus at the same time. You cannot do it. You cannot focus on fear and Jesus at the same time because here's how this works in our life. It's virtually the same thing that happened to Peter. Let's break it down again. The first thing is, is that we look at everything else except for Jesus. And what that means is we start looking at the virus or the jobs or, our, or the unknown or all of the push-up contests that we haven't kept up with. We start looking at everything else. And what does that cause us to do? The second thing, we start to get afraid. We start to freak out. We start to wonder, am I going to get sick? Are my kids going to not be in the right spot because I'm not homeschooling them right? Will my job even be there? We start to get afraid. And then what ultimately happens? We start to sink. We start to give into temptation. We start to get into bad habits. We start to slip in our faith. That's what happens when we lose sight of Jesus. But what happens if we didn't lose sight of Jesus? What would be the natural outworkings of that? How could our life look different? Well, I'll tell you, when we look at Jesus and the crazy blurs around us, when we are focused on Jesus, everything else blurs around us. 
There's, there's this great movie where Kevin Costner is a pitcher and he's looking down at the catcher and he has this one line as he's pitching for the, in, for the, the Detroit Tigers and he says, clear the mechanism. And when he clears the mechanism, all the crowd and everything kind of just shutters down. You can't hear anything. And all he can see is the catcher and what he's telling him. That's, uh, so clearing the mechanism. Focus on Jesus. Clear the mechanism. Then the second thing will happen, that we stay confident in God's plan. When we clear the mechanism, we're focused on Jesus. Everything blurs out. We know that his plan is right because it's all that we're looking at. And when that happens, number three, we actually walk on our fears. We focus on Jesus, we trust his plan, and then we walk on our fears. We are all over it when that happens, when we focus on Jesus. Because when we focus on Jesus, we can walk on our fears. Focusing on Jesus lets us walk on our fears. There is no better view, I'm telling you, no better view than looking in the eyes of Jesus while you are just stomping out all those fears that are holding you back. But here's the deal. This is the ideal way that Jesus wants us to live our life. But guess what? We all have times when we take our eyes off of Jesus. And if I could just be really raw with you for a second, I have done that in this season. I have. I, I, have, I have taken my eyes off of Jesus and all of a sudden I start to get freaked out. I start asking questions about, well, um, can I go outside? Can I not go outside? Am, am, I, am I able to actually teach my kids Aniston Easton well enough and also lead a church through a pandemic. I get worried about the finances of the church and I, I want to continue the mission and I don't want to miss a step and I'm just worried, will it all happen? And thankfully for your generosity, we can continue, but it worries me. And I think about my wife as a nurse in anesthesia on the front lines of this whole thing and I just, I worry that she'll get sick. I just, I just do. And so if I can be that honest, I hope that there are other people that are that honest too with themselves. But when I get like that, I'm glad that the story doesn't end with Jesus looking and waving at Peter as he goes underneath the waves. I'm grateful that the story doesn't end with Jesus turning around and walking away while Peter drowns. Because if it did, I would be on the bottom of that lake too, just like Peter. But Jesus doesn't have him drown we read that he actually reaches down and grabs Peter and brings him out of the water and puts him back on the boat. And what that is, is he's giving him grace. Despite his fears, despite his doubt, he still loves him and puts him back on the boat. Which is why I love this scene in verses 32 and 33. It says, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Jesus calmed the storm. Even in the middle of his doubt and his lack of faith and, and wet and just nasty and defeated, Peter is brought back up onto the boat and he calms the storm. Even in the middle of the doubt to the ones that never got out on the water, he calms their fears too. Why? Because he loves them. He loves them and Jesus loves you. He loves you in the middle of your fear. Right now, if you are so fearful that you're in the fetal position, rocking back and forth in the middle of your, your, your bathroom, even if you're stuck to the couch and watch so much Netflix, you don't even know what, it, what reality is anymore. Whatever it is, Jesus loves you. And when Jesus calmed the storm, these men could do nothing else but the worship. They worshiped and said, truly, this is the son of God. Because only God could still a storm like that inside them and on the outside. And only God could still the storm that is inside you inside me. 
Jesus calmed Peter in the middle of his fear and he calmed those men in the middle of theirs and he will do the same for you. When we come to Jesus with our fears, they melt in front of him. Which is why I want you to do one more thing today. Wherever you're at, we did this last week. I want you to do the very same thing this week. I want you to stand up. Stand up, get up to your feet. Kids too, I want you to join mom and dad to be able to stand up. And I want you to do this with me. I want you to read Philippians 4, verses six through seven out loud together. It'll be up on the screen. I want you to read this out loud together. And I want you to really listen to these words. Let's read it together. Philippians 4, six through seven. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, stay standing for a second. See, it's when we bring our focus in our fears to Jesus that he replaces it with a peace that says that surpasses understanding. And having overcome all those fears that that we have, Jesus then gives us confidence to walk taller in the world. And as a result, fear doesn't stand a chance because focusing on Jesus lets us walk on our fears. So as you continue to stand, what I'm going to ask you to do here as we prepare our hearts for communion is I want you to grab hands. I just want you to hold the hands of the people that are there with you. Grab onto them. You've been quarantined. You probably are okay. So just grab those hands. And what I want you to do is I want you to pray here in a second together as a family, wherever you might be at. And so my prayer is that you would allow Jesus's love for you as we prepare our hearts for communion to be able to wash over you, to take your fears away and that you all collectively can walk on your fears together knowing that Jesus loves you and that because he defeated death and because of the cross, we have nothing to fear. And because of that, we can have a new life where we walk on the fears that we used to be so scared of. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we hold hands with those that we love around us, as we consider our life, as we consider the things that we have gone through and the things that we struggle with, God, we just lift these up to you right now. And we say, God, we want to focus on Jesus more than anything else. We want to walk on our fears, blur out all the stuff that's around us and help us focus on him. Give us the the grace when we screw up, but help us to get back on track as quickly as we can so that we can walk on those fears and we can live a different life. In all the uncertainty that's around us, we have a certainty in you, Jesus, and we trust you. And because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, because of what we celebrate at communion, we know that we have nothing to fear because you've taken away all of it from us. So God, help us now in this moment. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.